Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Praise be to God. Thank you guys for joining me in my home in McKinney, Texas. And thank you guys for joining me in SoundCloud and all over the world. God bless you. And praise God. And welcome to Gospel Saving Church, SoundCloud, or all over the whatever client you're coming from. And thank you, everybody, for coming in my home. It's, uh, it's a privilege for me and an honor for me to be up here and be able to talk to you about the Word of the Lord today. I just prayed right before I started my recording, or as I was before I started to saying hi, that the Lord would help me bring forth the word today. So if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, please, and let's pray for us all together that the Lord would help us understand his word today and prepare our hearts to hear his word today. So that way we may be ready. Lord, uh, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much, Lord, for the guidance, spiritual and physical, Lord God, that your word gives us. Lord, your word gives us directions on how to live a healthy lifestyle as far as our physical bodies go. And then more importantly, Lord, your word also tells us how to live a spiritually healthy lifestyle, Lord God. So we won't die and go to hell, Lord, for it is the for sure thing, Lord. Once somebody dies, they either go to heaven or to hell. And Lord, I just thank you, Lord God, that you've given us the road map, as I've said it in a sermon a long time ago, Lord. Thank you that you've given us the road map to eternal life. You've given us the warnings and you've, all the signs are up. Many people are taking the wrong road, but nevertheless, you've got the road signs up and you, you say this way to heaven and in that way, the way you keep on going, the way to hell. But Lord, thank you that you love and that you've sent me to preach and other peoples to preach, Lord. And thank you, Lord God, that you've uh, given us the truth, Lord, so that we may know the truth and, and turn from the wrong way and get on the right way. We love you, and we praise you, and we thank you, Lord. We ask that you please bless our ears and our hearts today, Lord, as we listen to your message, Lord, and help us to understand the things that you have to tell us today, Lord God, in your word. And Lord, help us not just to understand them, Lord, but help us to make them practical application for our lives today, Lord. Help us to, whatever we hear, whatever it may be, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would speak to us and make those changes in our lives, Lord, or strengthen us in those paths that we've taken in our lives, Lord God, that are good. And thank you, Lord God. And we pray all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. You guys want to turn to 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. I'm going to read them after my thoughts from last week's message. Uh, homosexual marriage in the Bible. Now, you know, in case anybody's listened to this message that didn't listen to the message last week, but normally listens to me, I just wanted to start off first by saying that I'm not an advocate of homosexual marriage in the Bible as Maybe the title of last week's sermon may have thrown some people off, but the Lord wanted me to put that title on there because I was mainly wanting to reach out to people that may never set foot in a church, those people that are on that path and that are, of course, on their way to hell. So just in case you listened to this message and you thought, well, I wasn't going to listen to last week's message because the title was Homosexual Marriage in the Bible, and he's an advocate for that? No, I'm not an advocate for that, as you're going to hear today in this overview today. So it's a great sermon a lot of great information, a lot of things that the world, people in the world don't talk about. You should go back and listen to it, homosexual marriage in the Bible. Anyway, last week we talked about how homosexuality and homosexual marriage in the Bible is not permitted and how God really looks at it as sin and, and an abomination to him. Um, it, number one, the reasons why, it goes against his natural plan for marriage, right? We talked about that last week. God made man for or a woman for man and man for woman, not man for man and not woman for woman. And number two, it completely goes against his command to all humanity to procreate and to fill the earth with people. That you know, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth was God's command, not his suggestion, yet his command. Now we all read over those same verses last week. If you were here with me last week and you listened online, um, and and. That all showed us that the act of two same-sex people being together sexually in any way is an abomination and a sin to God. Um, sin, in case you're wondering, sin, God looks at sin. This is how he considers sin. This is his definition for sin. Sin is he tells you something to do and you don't do it. That's sin. Or God says don't do something and you do do it. That's sin also. And reading over the scriptures that we did with the wording God used in the passages we read, it's really easy to see, or I should say there's no real easy way around the fact that God considers homosexuality and homosexual marriage a sin, and he hates it as he hates all sin. 
And as I said last week, and I'll say again this week, any that practice sin shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's what the Bible says. Now, the things we talked about were so plain. I mean, we can't, how, how, do, you, you, how do you mix up those things, right? God said, gave a command, go, go forth and, and fill the earth. And God gave, you know, woman for man and man for woman in marriage. They're so plain, right? And yet, they're so plain, they're almost like kindergarten plain, all denominations and all Christian sects and all Christian you know, churches should all be on the same page. We should all be holding a banner. Hey, you know, sin, practice of sin, homosexuality sin, you know, any that practice it shall not be going to heaven. I mean, that, that's, that's how simple and, and, and a open and shut case that this is. This, so every Christian church and every denomination should be on the same page. Well, this should be the case, yet... As clear-cut and simple as this matter is in the Bible of homosexuality and homosexual marriage being a sin in God's eyes, believe it or not, but most of the Christian church in our world today is divided on this issue. And not just divided a little bit, it's divided big time. Okay, If you don't believe me, Google these words. Everybody that is listening to me probably has Google. Google these words. Denominations of Christianity that celebrate homosexuality. Again, Google these words. Denominations of Christianity that celebrate homosexuality. And you will find, if you do this, you will find over a hundred denominations worldwide that approve and celebrate homosexuality in their churches. Church denominations including, this is going to blow your mind, Baptist, not Southern Baptist now, Lutheran, Presbyterian, United Church of Christ, Methodist, Episcopal, and something called Brethren Mennonite. To me, this is shocking. Now, those are just the denominations. Now, those aren't the the churches. There's all kinds of churches that belong to each one of those denominations that celebrate homosexuality in our world today. How do they justify their celebration of homosexuality and homosexual marriage in their churches? Let me just read to you what the Wikipedia page says as its header concerning the subject. And if you listened last week, this will kind of strike a chord because, you know, we talked about this same thing. It opens up and it says this. While Christianity has traditionally forbidden sodomy, believing it to be, par- uh, to be parallel to homosexuality, Some believe in the Hebrew text in history that the word sodomy literally means male temple prostitute. Remember, we talked about that last week. And not a translation for homosexual. They finish by saying this. Thus, homosexuality is not thought of as an act of sin in a growing population of churches today. And boy, they're not kidding. As I said, over 100, what are 100 denominations celebrate worldwide, they celebrate homosexuality in their churches. Now, I addressed the issue of those two sections last week of 1 Timothy 1 and 1 Corinthians uh, 6 about how the word homosexual and sodomy there, it was right, it does not mean homosexual. But, as I said, when you look at the context of what God created, you know, man and woman, he created Adam as a man and Eve as a woman and his command to them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with humankind. We don't need the word to be homosexual. We just need to know that two same-sex people, according to the Bible, like God says in Leviticus 18 and 20, and what Paul says in Romans, that we need to know that the natural use of a man for a woman, and, or, or a man for a woman and a woman for a man, and the unnatural use then, as Paul writes in Romans, would be the woman for the woman or the man for the man. And we don't have to use the word homosexuality to know that what God says in his word simply there is that homosexuality and homosexual marriage is not something God approves of. It's impossible to see it that way then when you look at it like that. The issue is clear cut when you look at these sections of the Bible we study as a whole. Yet, as the Wikipedia page said, and this is we see it in our world today, a growing population in churches today uh, is accepting and celebrating homosexuality and homosexual marriage. But that's not all. They're accepting homosexual priests, homosexual pastors, homosexual ministers, homosexual, you name it. 
There's whole churches out there that that's why they exist, to celebrate homosexuality. The church is built by homosexuals that celebrate their sin and say they profess Jesus Christ and they think that they're saved as well too. This is shocking to me and I only want to say this in my little close for this overview. Christians, it's high time we wake up and stop celebrating the sinful practices of people in any church that proclaims Jesus Christ as Lord and King. Christians, Christ called those he saved and would save to sanctification and separation from the world in its sinful ways and to speak out against those evil things and to tell those lost sinners that are on their way to hell that are any that are practicing sin, we need to tell them how to be saved, to get away from the practice of their sin and turn to Christ Jesus, right? Christians, get in the game if you're really on God's team and call sinners to repentance and into a real live relationship with Jesus Christ and stop celebrating and welcoming the sinful practices of homosexuals, fornicators, adulterers, etc. into your churches. Praise be to God. Let's get on to our new message. The title of our new message is Their Spiritual Conditions. T-H-E-I-R, meaning their the spiritual conditions of the people, in a sense to say, so their spiritual conditions. I'm going to read over 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, and then I'll get into teaching it. If you want to read along with me, you can. If you want to just listen, you can too. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12 through 14 says this. John says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. That's what John says. Um, In our last section of Scripture, in our last time we studied 1 John, I would say, we read about, the the title of that sermon was, Love One Another As I Have Loved You. And I'm just, you know, kind of picking this back up, getting this back up to speed. And our study was on verses 7 through 11. In this section, John reminded Christians of the commandment Jesus Christ gave to all of his followers to love one another. And he hit his readers and us with the serious fact and consequences of not loving. For you see, because God is love, Christ commands those that are his to love. Uh, John says later on, we'll read about it um, in the first or second epistle he writes here. He says, how can we say we're of God and hate our brother, how can we say we love God but hate our brother? How can we say we love God which we can't see and say we love our brother whom we can see? So we need to, as according to John, love one another as God has loved us, for God is love. In our new section here, John switches gears to state some simple facts about the spiritual conditions of all those who read his epistle and are truly abiding and enduring in Christ. Why do I say that? Because as I've taught you week after week after week after week, we see that clearly the Bible says, Jesus, though only those that endure to the end should be saved. So we know that these are the spiritual conditions of those that are on the path, on the enduring, abiding in Christ's word path. Those who endure in Christ through thick and thin and abide in his words until the end of their lives. Because only they, we know from the scriptures, only they, those of us that do that, will have eternal life and be eternally secure. Here he labels all abiding Christians into three different spiritual categories. Now, today, 2016, July, if you are abiding in Christ, if you love him, if you're, you know, if you live for him, if you love him, if you're his and you haven't backslidden or whatever, you are in one of these three categories. And at the end, I'd like you to see which category you're in because each one of us is in this category, and you'll see as we go forth. In verses 12 through 14, John simply says to 
you know, he, he calls, he, he lists us off three different categories. He says to little children, who, who are little children? Little children are those who would be fresh in the faith, new believers. He's addressing this little section here to three different kinds or all the kinds of Christians that would be considered, you know, all, all of all Christians in all the world ever since the world began, since Christ came. He, he next says, he says, he writes to fathers, and this would be the church fathers or mature believers, older men of the faith who have mentored younger believers, overseen people of the faith, strengthened the body, seasoned veterans of the faith, older men in the faith, not older guys that get saved, understand, but people that have been saved and continued with the Lord and walked with the Lord and and been a Christian 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 years. We're talking about these Christians would be the fathers of the Christian faith here. Seasoned veterans. They've seen lots. They they know how to react in almost every situation that can be thrown at them in a a holy way because they've been walking with the Lord for so long. And then lastly, to young men or young women in Christ. These would be like, you know, you could represent them as like teenage believers. Um, they've been around the spiritual block a while, but, you know, they've not seen everything. These would be really the battlefield soldiers for Christ, right? The worker bees for God's kingdom. Um, in, in real life, like not real life, in our physical lives, I should say, when we're at our peak of our youth, which would be from like, you know, teens to you know, maybe 50s, maybe even 60s, we're really strong and we're kind of like, you know, that's when we are are most productive in life. And the same thing here, young men, young women in Christ would be that seasoned uh, Christian, but not the elder Christian. This would be the majority of the Christian population as, you know, the youth and the the older guys are, well, the youth are just being born and the older guys, and they're kind of, you know, they're heading toward the end of their lives. And so that's how you could look at these Three types of spiritual people here, and you have to decide, as I'm going to ask you at the end, which one you are, whether you're a little child, whether you're a young man or woman in Christ, you know, that, that, that in your peak kind of Christian, you know, being the most productive, uh, the, 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 the majority, or whether you're a father, whether you've, you've been, you're, you're at the end and, you, you know, you're, you're the seasoned Christian, the most one, so you have to decide which one you are at the very end. I'm going to ask you. So what does John have to say to all believers who are enduring and abiding in Christ and his word about their spiritual conditions? First, and these are really some really interesting things. I really initially wasn't going to make a whole sermon out of these, just these couple verses here. But then as I kept reading and, I, and God kept pouring into my heart, just the different things. And I kind of felt that this sermon was just going to be very informative on, on you know, a good gauge, you know, it's a good gauge. Where are we at in Christ? If we've been in abiding, if we've been enduring, where are we at? Am I a youth still? Am I a, you know, a, a middle age? Am I an older, you know, guy in the Lord? Where am I at? Maybe you already know that, but here I'm going to give you some things from my experiences as I would consider myself a young man in Christ, a young, a young, you know, soldier for Christ. I'm definitely not a father and I'm definitely not a, a, a babe in Christ. And so I'm going to give you some things that the Lord's shown me on little children. First John says, talks to the little children, the new believers that are fresh in the faith, and you could say wet behind the ears, and he says two different things to them. And you're going to, I want to talk about these two different things. He writes, the first thing, he says, because their sins were forgiven them for his namesake, and that would be for Jesus Christ's namesake. And number two, he writes to them, because they have known the Father. Well, I sure didn't say a lot about them. He says a lot more, trust me, to the fathers, and he says a lot more to the young men and young women in Christ. But here he only gives the two things about the youth, about the babes in Christ. Their sins were forgiven them, and they've known the Father. Um, He didn't say a lot about them, but that's all right, and here's why. You see, when somebody's freshly saved and just a babe in Christ, there's really not much that can be said about them. If a new believer were to write a Christian resume, you know, like, Imagine you had Christian work and they wanted, oh, Christians, come apply for this Christian work that we have you do. A new believer on that resume would only have a couple things to write. What were those couple things that he'd have to write, he or she would have to write? They'd only be able to write where they came from and how God saved them from where they were at. 
That's really all that a new believer, a brand new babe in Christ, has to write. They're basically their testimony. Literally, a new believer has just come into the fold in Christ. They have their testimony. They've been saved. Um, they're not. They have no huge spiritual accomplishments yet. You know, they may have been zealous for the Lord and then telling people about Jesus, but you know that may be just days, weeks in, and and that that'd be the only big accomplishment that they might have. They have no huge spiritual accomplishments yet. They don't have many experiences with walking with Christ in the daily grind. They just mainly have their testimonies, right? When I was a babe in Christ, and that's really all that I had. I had my love for the Lord. I knew what he saved me out of. I was this wretched, evil, abusive person and hated everybody, including myself, uh, abusive to my children, uh, or my child, I should say, abusive toward my wife, abusive toward myself, the biggest thief I knew. I hated the world. I hated everything. And boy, oh boy, I sook the Lord and God revealed himself to me one day in my living room and I, God, he changed me. And I, I went from this hateful, evil, mean, terrible person to this loving, kind, generous, you know, helpful overall godly type of person in one night. Just, just kind of happened to me. And all I wanted to do was tell people about what I knew about Jesus. Hey, God saved me. He took me from where I was and, and, and brought me from here. I wouldn't have been able to have a theological discussion with somebody. I wouldn't have been able to tell a Muslim why their God wasn't the right God and my God was the right God or, or a Hindu or a Buddhist because I didn't know. In fact, I, I didn't know anything much about anything except for I knew Jesus saved me, and that's all I knew. And hey, he can save you too if you'll just come to him too. Well, what about what about this, that? Well, I, hey, I, I don't know. All I know, Jesus saved me, and now he can save you too. I was on this path to hell. And now he redeemed me, and now I'm on the path, and I feel great, and God told me he's going to save me and bring me to heaven. Well, come on. Come on, everybody. Come on. But that's all I knew. Little children in the faith, as I was, are immature in their understandings of the Word of God. They haven't really been walking with the Lord long enough. They haven't been able to read the Word of God enough to really know the deep spiritual things of God. They're very immature in God's Word. They're not learned in the Holy Scriptures yet. That's a big one yet. Peter speaks about this in his first epistle, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He says this, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So Peter talks about how growing, when it, you know, growing from babes into, a, you know, into maturehood and then to fatherhood. And he says we do that by the word. We're going to talk about that later. Now, saying all this, if you're a new believer, a babe, or a little child in Christ, please don't be offended with what I'm saying here. I'm not saying these things to tear you down. I'm just elaborating on what John and Peter are both saying in the Scripture. Everyone who's been first saved, no matter what time in history, has been a newborn baby in Christ. And just being honest here, having, because your sins are forgiven you for Christ's sake, and, and because you've known the Father said or written about you, is a tremendous privilege to be said. That, that, is, that is an awesome thing that somebody would say about you. I, I'm not lying. Not many people who've lived since Christ came have had their sins forgiven them and come to know the Father and been saved and become a child of God. Jesus said, the road that leads to destruction is wide. And there will many that will go in by it. And the road that leads to life is narrow and hard and difficult. And there few there will be that find it. And he wasn't kidding. In our world today, just look around. In our world today, a majority of people in America say that they're Christians. Yet, the majority of our country lives in a sinful, hateful, murderous state. And these are things that go against Jesus. So although people say one thing, you see a very small minority that is, fits this bill here, or what I just said, the many and the few. Few people have, have surrendered their lives to Christ and really been saved and really been born again. Very, 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 very few. Um, now, Christians, the new spiritual birth of a person is something that we ought to celebrate in our churches, not the practicing of sinful behaviors that send people to hell, okay? I just wanted to throw that in there, our overview. Hey, let's celebrate the awesome things 
of the new birth in Christ and the growth in Christ and the mentoring of Christ, not our sin. We don't come to church to celebrate our sin. We come to church to celebrate our, our, our victory over sin, our, our defeat of death and our coming to Christ and our new life in Christ. Don't, don't celebrate homosexuality. Put that stuff away. Put that stuff away. Repent and come to Christ and be a born-again Christian. Be saved. Um, and as I said, being a newborn baby in Christ is something that everyone becomes, uh, everyone that becomes a Christian begins as. And frankly speaking here, two new Christians, it's natural to be a newborn baby in Christ at the beginning of coming to know him, but it's just not okay to stay there. We'll, we'll talk about that as we go on. So next, so we got the babe in Christ out of the way. And uh, no disrespect, love you babes, I was one too. Praise, you know, praise God, keep growing, keep going, you know, you'll get there. God's going to make you wise, keep studying the scriptures. But next, John writes to the young men or young women in the Christ. That's who I'm going to comment on next. As this should be the natural progression of both the physical people that are alive today, as every person that's listening to this message was at one time a baby, and then they became a little tiny child, and then they became an an adult or a young young man or young woman, then they become adult, and then became a father baby. It's the same progression in the physical as in the spiritual. Those who have been born again by God's supernatural power should be moving up the ladder to from babehood to, you know, mature adulthood and then to fatherhood. This is how John lists their spiritual conditions, but I will go, or this is not, I should say, how John lists their spiritual conditions here. He says, he goes, babe, father, youth. I'm going to go babe, youth, father because that just helped me understand it because that is the natural progression of things i don't know why john did that i'm sure he had a reason i don't understand it i'm not a i'm not a scholar or anything like i know i could say i know everything about the word of god i don't know anybody that is but i'm going to go through it in the natural progression of things so of the young men women in christ who have been around the spiritual block a while but not seen everything we're learning every day. We're the battlefield soldiers for Christ. We're the worker bees for God's kingdom, right? The, one, the ones that God puts the heaviest burden on to, to bear the heat of the day. The ones that are able to, because we're, we're not babes and we're not fathers and old men yet. We're, we're young and, you know, we're, we're, we're just young in the faith to be strong workers, but we're not old enough to be retired yet, right? And then that's the natural ones to bear the burden, okay? Uh, As I said earlier, the majority of God's Christian population, John says this to us that are the young aged, you know, middle aged uh, children in Christ. He writes this to young men and women of the faith because, number one, they've overcome the wicked one. Number two, they are strong. Number three, because the word of God abides in them. And number four, because they've overcome the wicked one. Now, wait a minute here. I've been working on not repeating myself too much, as I told you guys back some time back, but yet here, the only reason I repeated myself is because, uh, the, the only reason I repeated how they overcame the wicked one is because John does in verses 13 and 14, and that's important. That'll be the biggest section that we'll spend talking about young men and young women in Christ. That's very important, which is why John wrote it twice here. It's, he's not, he didn't make a mistake and he's not senile. Let's talk about each thing that John says here about young men and women in Christ. For what he writes here goes hand in hand, and it's very important for us to understand. Very important. So very listen, listen very carefully. Notice, as I said, John writes, they have overcome the wicked one twice. Why would he write this twice? That's the first thing and the last thing, but we're going to put it all as the first. We're going to talk about all as the first because that's just what he writes He said it because it's important, and he said it twice because it's important, so we're going to study it twice as important as we're going to study anything else. Well, if you are a young man, young woman in Christ, as I am, and not a babe anymore, then you know that you didn't grow up in Christ without overcoming the evil one and all of the devices and all of the schemes that he plotted against you or is plotting against you day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, second by second, unrelentingly. You know you didn't become to get this stage in Christ without overcoming the evil one. He, he, Satan, for me and others I have know, has tried to take us down in our faith. 
tried to make us stumble into living in the sin again, tried to bring us back into our old fleshly ways, live for the flesh. He's tried to make me a hypocrite, uh, tried to cause me to put my light under a basket or stop talking to others about Christ, uh, tried to you know make my love grow cold for Jesus, and the list can go on and on and on and on and on. But if you're a young man, young woman for Christ, and you listen to this message, or if you're not, this is kind of how it's going to be. If you're a young babe, this is what you got to look forward to. If you're an old man, if you're a father in the faith, you know that this is where you were. You know simply the devil's been trying to take the young men, young women out in Christ and, and make them absolutely fruitless for God's kingdom. And of course, uh, as I've seen in my walk with the Lord throughout these years, if he succeeds in doing this, because I've seen people he succeeded in doing this too, uh, he doesn't just want this. He doesn't just stop there. Uh, if he doesn't succeed in this, then he tries to bring you back to live for him. If he's able to succeed and you becoming fruitless, then he tries to swing you back completely to his side. And when you forsake Jesus Christ, period, at the end, and you become a child of perdition again. He doesn't. He's not just satisfied with just attacking you so that you just have no fruit for Jesus. He wants to attack you to get you back to the world. He wants you to attack you to bring you back to his kingdom. Paul warns us about this in Hebrews 10, 38 and 39. He says this, Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but are those who believe to the saving of the soul. You see, someone cannot draw back to perdition, which is the road to hell, unless they were off of that road. And the only other road that a person can be on is a road to heaven. Because there's only two roads. You're either on today, listen to this message, you're on the road to heaven, or you're on the road to hell. There's no in-between. Well, you say, well, Pastor, I, I just live for myself. You know, I don't, I mean, I, I know God, but you know, well, you're on the road to hell then. We say, well, I'm just lukewarm. No, no, no. If you're lukewarm, you're on the road to hell. It, it, only if you're serving Christ and you're surrendered to Christ are you on your road to heaven. So here, Paul writes in Hebrews, if anyone draws back to perdition, so, and, and again, someone can't draw back to perdition unless they were on another road to draw back off of that road to some other road. So if you're drawn back to perdition, if they, you, whoever, drawn back to perdition, then they were on the road to life, and drawing back means that they are going back to the road that leads to hell again. Simple as that. There's really no other way to look at that. Drawing back to something means that you had to be somewhere else and draw back to that period the end. Peter warns Christians about this idea of Satan trying to take Christians down in his epistle, 1 Peter 5, 8-9. Now, this is just a couple. The Bible is strewn in the New Testament with all, even the Old Testament, with warnings to those that are on the path. Hey, be careful. Watch where you're going. Hey, be careful. Peter, 1 Peter 5, 8-9. Peter says, be sober. Be vigilant. Right? And to all Christians now, but here especially to you know, the young men, young women. He goes, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, Peter demands and commands, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Um, you see, Satan doesn't just stop attacking any Christian, especially a young man, young woman in Christ, and trying to take them down until, what? We're only safe from his attacks when we're home to be with the Lord forever. That's it. Now, why, especially according to John here, who writes it twice, does the devil come against the young man or young woman in Christ? Well, think about this. Because they've grown up in Christ, they have been serving him and doing things for God's kingdom. And of course, whenever a saved person does something for God's kingdom, they hurt Satan's kingdom, and he doesn't like that. And when Satan doesn't like what you do, he attacks you big time. It, it's kind of like, you know, when you serve God, and as a young man, young woman for Christ, you're going to be serving God. You're not going to be a pew warmer. Those that are in the middle age, they're serving Christ, okay? That's just kind of what a young man, young woman does. They're, they're the ones that God puts the burdens on anyway. They're the strongest ones in the faith to do that, okay? Then Satan's going to get angry with you. He's I don't like it when the John or Ed or Bob or Susie or Larry, I don't like it when they serve their God. Oh, man, it makes me angry because you know what we're serving God for? We're serving God to save people's souls. We're serving God to bring people into God's kingdom. Well, if we got to bring people into God's kingdom, we got to draw them out of Satan's kingdom. And Satan, of course, doesn't like that. It seems 
Uh, excuse me, why didn't John mention this overcoming of Satan as something babes in Christ do? It seems, at least in my experience with Christ, when I was a babe in him, God seemed to put like a supernatural shield around me where I really can't remember many times that the devil tried unrelentingly to attack me. I know he did now because I can see back then, but uh, sure, he attacked me some, I know. But when I was fresh in the faith, I was so young and so immature in Jesus and in God's word that I really didn't know what was kind of happening. And and I just really kind of seemed to blow it off and blow those attacks off. But really, I just didn't even know it was him. Just a couple times, but mostly I just thought, hey, that's my mind or oh, that's just me or whatever. You know, I like that stuff, whatever, you know. So I really, as a young child, Satan was trying to take me down too, but kind of God, kind of at least in my experience, protected me and just just refreshed me and just healed me. And then as I got older in the Lord, I noticed the attacks from the devil got a lot worse, which is why Paul or John says here that the young men, young women of Christ must overcome the wicked one. And he mentions it twice. So absolutely as a young adult or young man or woman in Christ, you will have to overcome the evil one in a tremendous way. Day by day, you'll have to overcome him unrelentingly. And that's a fact. Why does John say, or what does John say next about young men and young women of Christ? He says that a young man, young woman of Christ, that they are strong and that the word of God abides in them. You see, in the natural progression of growing up as a child to an adult, you get stronger. And the same goes for a babe in Christ in their supernatural progression as they grow up too. How does a child grow up and get stronger? Well, think about a physical child. Uh, they hopefully eat much good food, and unfortunately not so much in America, we got a lot of junk food, but they hopefully eat lots of good physical food. They get a lot of good physical exercise for their bodies, and they learn things with their minds which helps them grow physically and mentally, right? And then that's how a person grows up as they grow. And every day goes by, they get older, and they get stronger, and they eat, and they learn, and they do exercise, and they get stronger. Well, The same should go for a supernatural man or woman for Christ, young man or young woman for Christ, but just in a supernatural food and exercise and learning category. The supernatural food and mental growth for a growing and maturing Christian is what? Well, as Peter says, desire the pure milk of the word, right? It's reading and learning God's word. That's how we grow mentally. That's how we grow spiritually is learning God's word more and more and more, getting it in us like food for our soul man, right? We have a physical man and we have a soul man. Everybody's built that way. You're feeding your physical man every day. How much food are you giving your soul man every day? But that's how you learn and grow and become stronger mentally and spiritually in God. Where does your supernatural exercise to get stronger come from? Well, obeying the commands of Christ and his teachings. You see, As you continue to learn, as you continue to grow spiritually and mentally, God's going to lay things on your heart. Is where how with the young man and the young woman in Christ is the burden bearer for God and the one whom God puts a lot of responsibility on to do work for his kingdom. This is the this is why, because you're strong, you're able, you're not a youth, but you're not an old man. And you know, so there you go, and, and God puts that burden on you. And in doing, but in doing that, you got to learn God's word and you got to grow in him. And as you read his word, he'll teach you things and you say, well, I want that. And then he'll put it on your heart. Oh, I got to do that. Oh, oh, I got to do that. Oh, I pray. Oh, I can pray. Oh, advance. Oh, I got to advance. Oh, serve in the church. Oh, I got to serve in the church. And so there you go. That's how we grow physically, mentally, and spiritually, spiritual speaking, growing in the Lord. To grow up in the faith and become a young man or woman of Christ are essential to learn the Word of God. And that's how John lists them off as part of their spiritual conditions. And as John just gave these characteristics of young men, young women in Christ, the things he mentioned here should be what is happening to all Christians as they grow from babe in Christ to maturity. Because it's a natural progression, right? Then to the fathers, lastly to the fathers, the, the elders, the church fathers, mature believers, the older men of faith, the, those who have mentored younger believers, overseen people of the faith, or are currently overseeing them, seasoned veterans, they've seen a lot, and they know how to react in every situation. He writes to them two things. He says, because they've known him, now this would be Jesus Christ and God Almighty, who is from the beginning, and 
verse 14, that was verse 13. Verse 14, he says to them again, he says here, because they've known him, Jesus Christ or God Almighty, who is from the beginning. Now, wait a minute here. What? Did you just catch what he said? He just said, because they've known him who is from the beginning twice. And these are supposed to be the seasoned fathers. These are supposed to be the ones that I just gave all the characteristics of, those elders of the faith. Why did John say that? To me, I've read this first book of John probably two dozen times or more, maybe even more, maybe maybe 20 or 30 or 40. And I've never really noticed that John wrote the same thing, and the way I did today, I've never really noticed that John wrote the same things to the fathers in two different verses. This really made me take a double take. I, I don't know if it did for you after I read this study. So how come? How come if the spiritual fathers of the faith and the supernatural progression are those with the characteristics I just named off, did John only say one thing about them in two different verses? I mean, even the babes in Christ had two different things written about them. And it even looks here if John just gave the same characteristic to the fathers as he did the little child in Christ. Because John said of the little child in Christ uh, that they had known the father. Right? Is it the same thing or is it not the same thing? I mean, was John senile when he wrote this? Did he, did he, oh, I forget that he put, you know, forgot that he put this down in verse 13 and then just put it in verse 14? Well, it may seem as if John just wrote the same thing, but he didn't. And let me show you why. I mean, he did write the same thing twice, but he didn't write the same things as at least as he wrote to the babes. John says that the little children, he says, of them, I write to you because they have known, or you have known the Father. Okay? And to the fathers, he writes, they that have known him who is from the beginning. Now, it may seem a little different, or it may seem a lot the same, but it's not. And let me explain. Uh, it's different, and it's in a special, different way. Okay? The one thing John says about the fathers, he does not say, to either of the little children or the young men or women in Christ. The, the, you, you have known him who is from the beginning is only a specific thing just to the fathers. It's, it's just like to the young men and young women in Christ, how they had overcome the wicked one. To the fathers, he writes a very unique thing too. You have known him who is from the beginning. So why is them having known him who's from the beginning so special? And why is it so special in a different way than in what he wrote to the little children of the faith? You see, John speaks of these fathers having an, a lasting, enduring, experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ with a deep, mature walk with Christ. You see, babes just have an idea, a, a, a knowing God, the Almighty, the Father, who came and forgive and forgave them of their sins. That's how they know God. They they purely know God in an immature, in a in a just a pure baby like way, the same way a little child would know their mom and dad when they were born into growing into just a little child. Yet fathers in the faith have walked with God in Christ for decades of human years. And in those human years, spiritual as well as human years. And they've grown up in the Lord. And they've had their ups and they've had their downs. And, and they've grown up in their creator. Like, think of this, like a huge oak tree that is stories and stories tall. With roots that, that have grown deep and wide. Having a canopy that covers and shades a whole house. Instead of just a canopy that may cover just one little spot in the yard. And most importantly, the fathers in the faith have continued to know God and know Christ, and they've not fallen off the path. John could have wrote, because you've continued to know him who is from the beginning and you haven't given up, right? They've helped others down that path as well too, and borne the burdens of others, bearing one another's burdens, right? And they've shouldered the heat of the day and now they're past that and now they're kind of like i'm guessing the lord probably gives fathers of the faith kind of that special covering too kind of stops the devil from attacking them as much as he attacked the ones that were in their youth or in their prime right 
Paul, a father in the faith, uh, to so many in Christ, said this same thing of himself in 2 Timothy 4, 6-7. He says this, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. Notice past tense. I have finished the race. Past tense. I have kept the faith. All past tense. These are things that all that he did in the youth, in the prime of his youth, and now, hey, he's on the other side of that. He's, he's still walking strong in the Lord, but he's, he's at the end of his life. He's a father of the faith and, and, and planted churches and, and prayed for people and seen strongholds broken, but now he's, he's finished the race. Father is kind of at the end of of the spiritual journey with God, just waiting, kind of, hey, still serving the Lord, of course, because we should do that till we die, but just kind of wait, hey, I'm ready to come, Lord. I'm ready to come be with you, Lord. I've done my work. I've put in the work, Lord, and and I'm ready for my reward. Lastly, the reason a father gets these two distinct characteristics written about them twice, a father in the faith has reached the pinnacle of the prayer of Paul to the Ephesian Christians in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18. Peter said, Excuse me, Paul writes this, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. An elder, a father in the faith is there. They've known, they, they know now the fullness of the love of God. I don't know that. As a babe in Christ, you don't. You may think, we may think we know that, but you don't know that. A father in the faith has the fullness of the love and knows the height and the depth and the width along with all the saints. He knows those things about God more intimately than a babe or a young man or a young woman can. And so John, in writing this, although it seems so, he wrote the same thing and he just wrote it twice. Well, what the heck's going on? John does this on purpose to let us know that the fathers in the faith, man, they've got it and they're there and they're just, hey, I'm just waiting to see the Lord. Praise be to God. They fought the fight and neither, again, a a babe nor a young woman or man in Christ can say that, that what I just said, only a father in the faith can say these things that John wrote about him. Um, So I asked in the beginning of the message. I asked and I ask again. If you consider yourself a true follower of Jesus Christ, if you think, hey, I'm, I've been saved, I, I've been born again, I've been walking with the Lord for X amount of years, you fill in the amount of years you've been walking with the Lord, I want you to say to yourself, which category would you put yourself in? Would you consider yourself a babe in Christ, you know, freshly saved? And immaturity in the Word of God, you know, you're not real scholarly on the Word of God yet. You know, you really only have just your testimony. Uh, an infant, that would be, if you had to gauge, if I had to gauge, I would say that an infant babe in Christ, you could probably get away with that for maybe three to five to seven years. You could be a babe in Christ. I mean, I say anything other than that, anything past that, I'd have to say maybe the person's deceived. It's, it's hard for me to, to believe that you can be a babe in Christ after being saved for 20 years, 30 years, and all you really have is your testimony. All you really have is your, oh, this is what God rescued me from, and you don't have, because where's your walk with the Lord? Where is the spiritual progression that Paul, or I'm sorry, that John mentioned here about, you know, overcoming the evil one and, you know, and, uh, and being strong in the word and all that. And if you could say I'm saved for 20 or 30 years, I'd say you got something to be worried about if you can say all I have is my testimony still. Because, hey, listen, you should have more than that if you've been saved for 20 or 30 years. So would you say you're an infant or a babe in Christ, freshly saved? Would you say that you're a young man or a young woman in Christ, which would encompass, you know, teenage to, to middle age to, you know, the, the bearing the hard days of work, like in the youth of a, like in the, like in the young man stage of a person on earth, you know, where you're serving God and, and, and you're, and you're loving God and you're wise in the word and, and God's built you up to be a strong worker and you know him deeply, but you know, not as obviously deeply as a father or are you a father? In the faith of Christ, you know, at the end, you, you've been saved for 50 years. 
And, and, and you know, you, you got saved when you were 20 and now you're 70 and you've been, you, you, man, you served God 50 years strong and you, 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 you got testimony after testimony, what God's done in your life. And, and man, I've seen him work this way and he's answered that prayer and oh, I saw those. Where would you put yourself? Infant, young man, young woman, or father of the faith of Christ. Notice that John, John didn't give any other categories for the spiritual conditions of those abiding and enduring in Christ. That's because if you're really saved and you're continuing in Christ, you will fit into one of these categories. No ifs, ands, buts, or coconuts about it. God does not save a person, as I said about the infants just a few minutes ago or just a minute ago. God doesn't just save a person and leave them as an infant. God's desire is that we know him, as Paul prayed for the Ephesians, that we'd know the height and the length and the width and the depth of the love of Christ and of the love of God in Christ Jesus. And it would be filled with the fullness of God. And God wouldn't save anybody and leave them as an infant. I mean, God wants you to become a youth, a a teenager, a middle-ager, you know, a young man, young woman for Christ, because he wants you to work for him. So he's not going to leave you as a youth, if God saves you, he's going to grow you up. God works to sanctify every true child of his, those that are on his path, and to grow them up strong spiritually. And a Christian's growth, maturity, only happens as they seek his face daily, walk with him and have, you know, rely on him and trust in him and in his word and through prayer and as they, you know, become totally dependent on him for everything. And that's how we grow. Paul says to Christians in 2 Peter 1-5, through he says this, about how we should look at our growth and our walk. If you could say you're a babe, or if you could say you're a middle age, if you say you're a father, this is what we all should be striving for. He says, Peter says this, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. Perseverance, godliness. Godliness, brother kindness. To brotherly kindness, add love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is where we should be trying to go. You know, babe, hey, getting in that word, desiring the pure milk of the word, growing in God, growing in Christ Jesus, getting stronger every day. Hey, then, hey, God, how can I serve you now? And all this is what you want me to do. Okay, Lord, and then doing that. This is how we grow. But it is possible, unfortunately, for a child of God to stop growing in Christ and to go backwards. We call it in our word, in our modern vernacular of our word today, we call it backsliding. And I have met many who have backslidden away or fallen away from the faith. And sadly, what happens if a child of God stops growing and maturing in Christ and becomes a backslider? Peter goes on in 2 Peter 1.9, the very next verse, to tell us what happens. For he who lacks these things... Meaning, he who is not constantly persevering to get older and stronger in the Lord, those that aren't persevering, how do I serve you more today, Lord? How do I love you more today? How do I keep going in you, Lord, today? Those who lack these things, the things that he just wrote off, and right before I read verse 1-9, is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. See, if we've forgotten that, If we've forgotten how much God forgave us, where are we really headed? Are we really still living for him? Do we really still remember that he, Peter said we forgot. And if we forgot that he cleansed us, how can we be thankful? How can we be in a relationship with him if we forgot, hey, I used to be a sinner. Remember where I came from. Look where I am now. For Peter tells us lastly in verses 10 and 11, he says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, or like I said, the things that it would take to continue to grow in Christ things, he says you will never stumble. Which means if you don't do those things, if you've backslidden away, right, the opposite's true, you will stumble. He goes on in verse 11 about doing those things. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
Maybe you're sitting and listening to this message and in your home and you haven't been to church in a long time, but you just turned on this message. Maybe you're thinking right now about what I'm saying, about what the Bible's saying. Maybe you stop growing in Christ altogether and you find yourself a backslider, fall into living in your old sinful ways and not for Christ, not having faith and not following Christ anymore. Well, I'm not going to lie to you. The Bible says you're in spiritual trouble. Think about it like this in a physical way. If you're walking up a steep hill and you stop <laughs> or you start going backwards, then you're eventually going to hit rock bottom. You're going to hit the rock bottom of that hill and eventually roll completely away from that hill as a downward progression would, you know, would tend to lead to as you kept going backwards, you'd continue to keep rolling away. And if you've drawn back down that hill to the bottom and away from that hill, then what Paul said in Hebrews 10, 38 and 39 applies to you. He says this, remember, the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, or you could say he starts rolling down that hill, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we're not of those who draw back to perdition, but those who believe to the saving of our soul. And so... If you don't repent and get back to a life surrendered to Jesus Christ, a life in love with Jesus Christ, a life serving Him and knowing Him and getting stronger in Him, walking back up that hill, growing in Christ, then you'll keep rolling away and you'll keep rolling back toward perdition as where you came from because you were on the road to Christ, but now you've rolled back, fallen away unto the path that leads to hell when you die. God loves you, backslider, as much as he loves me. And that's my word for you today. Don't forget it. But you must stop stumbling backwards if you're a backslider. And you must repent and you must turn back to Jesus Christ. And you must surrender once again and say, Lord, you were right, I was wrong. Man, I, wow, I didn't realize it, but I'm wrong. I need you, Jesus. And you need to come back. And you need to get right with God before you get left. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord God, for this word. Thank you so much, Lord God, for this teaching. Lord, I thank you, Lord God, that you give us this gauge, Lord. I mean, we're either a babe in Christ, we're either a young man, young woman in Christ, or we're a father in Christ. I mean, there's really no other... There's really no other ways to put our spiritual condition. And that's all Christians all over the world to this very day, Lord. If we're a Christian and we're following Christ, we consider ourselves a Christian, we should find ourselves in one of these categories. Now, we shouldn't be a babe in Christ for 30 years, Lord, as we continue to grow, because everybody has to grow, Lord. We should become mature adults and know our words and fall in love with you. And then, Lord, there has to come a time when we grow up and we start serving you, Lord. And so, Lord, I just pray that each one listening to this message, Lord, will consider the things that you said in your word here today. And even the things that we see, you know, just in the supernatural progression of things. And I pray they would judge themselves, Lord God. I pray that they would test themselves to see where they're at in the faith. Or where they're at in the faith, or if they've backslidden out of the faith, Lord. Strengthen those young babes that listen to me today, Lord. Grow them into young men and young women for Christ. Strengthen the young adults, Lord God, that they would be able to overcome the evil one and not get taken down by him. And Lord, help the fathers, Lord, to continue to mentor and to continue to serve you, but not in the heat of the day, obviously, as that's for the young men, young women. And strengthen them, Lord God, that they would just continue to Hold on to you until the end, Lord, and continue to serve you in the capacity that you've given them to serve you in. And Lord, for those that have backslidden away or those that are maybe deceived and I'm a babe in Christ, but I've been saved for 30 years and I'm still a babe, Lord, they're not, Lord, they're not really saved. Lord, they need Jesus. They're deceived, really deceived. And they need to get into your word and find out what it really means to get saved. Please, God, draw them and the backslider, Lord God, draw them to you. And help them to know what is the height and the width and the length of the love of God in Christ Jesus. Help them to come back to you or to you for the first time. We love you and we praise you, God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God, everyone. It's Pastor Ed here. 
Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because your life will soon be passed and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015 and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love Him back by the way you live your life. God bless you and have a wonderful day.